Welcome back to another episode of Desert Rain Community Radio. Uh, Today, David and I sit down to talk about letting go of certitudes and asking the questions and living in the questions in and around our our spirituality and our faith. Um, The the idea behind this episode was to set up for a, a our next series in around in and around construction, deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, wisdom, uh, evangelism, and so uh, this is sort of the the prequel to that. Um, before we get into it, thank you Diego for your editing, sound engineering. Uh, he's from Recording Moving Studios. Thank you to Jacob at Monk Drums. Uh, That's what you hear in the background. You can check him out at monkdrums.com. And head over to theruined.com if you're interested in reading more of uh, David Morrison's works. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Desert Rain Community Radio, drcrpod.com is where you can find those um, or wherever you came across this episode. Also, please tell a friend if you're enjoying what you hear. That's the best way for us uh, to spread the word. Um, You can also leave a comment or a rating if you would like. We would appreciate that. And we appreciate you. And let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to yet again another episode of Desert Rain Community Radio. David Morrison. Hola. Happy day. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty nice, good. Nice, a little um, groggy, but doing well. Yeah, it's uh, it's been pretty windy the last, I guess, the last week now. Yeah, allergies are in the air. Flowers are flowering. Pollen, pollen is pollinating. I saw a a short. It was like a video meme. This guy's sitting on the couch, and this guy dressed in all yellow comes and like starts. Oh him yeah, up. yeah. <laughs> it's pollen kicking his. Yeah. Kicking his behind. Um, people in the South are saying, no, please. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, quick note about that. When I, the first spring I spent in South Carolina, I can remember walking. We had to walk between oh. the barracks and where we learned. And I remember seeing this orange chalk oh. all along the, like, the curb. And I was like, well, like, why were people riding with chalk? Wow. Because it was rem- reminiscent of, like, elementary age kids, yeah. you know? And I asked someone, and they laughed at me. They're like, no, you idiot. That's pollen. It's <laughs> called the South. Yeah, I can't I imagine. Like, oh. I would die there. My lungs would just close up. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, obviously, I didn't grow up with trees. <laughs> um, so, yeah, with all that being said, spring is spring has sprung, as they say. And uh, sort of to – the topic we're going to delve into can be uh, – Somewhat controversial in the sense that uh, depending on what your affiliation or your um, experience has been with an organized church has been. But to sort of continue the last two episodes, we talked about recovery around alcoholism and addiction. And today we want to talk about, um, for lack of a better word, recovery from the church. Mm. People that have been disenfranchised, um, disowned, disillusioned, I think is one of the words you used. Yeah. Um, Left behind, but in a different kind of way. 
Yeah, or even un- <laughs> I think you you said the unchurched that show up at a church and feel like yeah, an outsider. Yeah, it's a foreign land to them. It's bizarre. It's unrelatable. Yeah, and so I guess from my perspective, one of the things I've noticed from our friendship and sort of being around as people have conversations with you or or um, in group settings when people bring up topics, um, you kind of you somehow seem to attract those people. <laughs> that have I have been, been known to. <laughs> I think you sometimes refer. I, in fact, I think on the podcast you said. Uh, the kids' table. <laughs> yeah, we're the kids' table. We're the Isle of Dogs. We're the Island of Misfit Toys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope dogs. What a great, uh, great. <laughs> we're on Trash Island, right. Chaparral, New Mexico. Trying to just trying to find our way. So today, we, I want to explore that with you. Um, I know, and we've covered uh, in past episodes your um, sort of some of your mentors or uh, church family turning their back on you coming out here to Chaparral. Um, so you have your own uh, experience with that, very deeply personal experience with that yeah. that we've talked about. Um, so I guess just to lead off with that, from off that intro is just how, how or why do you think you've sort of become this? Cause you don't, you don't advertise as like, Hey, yeah. if, if you, if you feel left out of the church, come on over. Yeah. People seem to find their way to you in, in a, um, in all sorts of ways, but they naturally end up here. What, yeah. Do you do you have any insight or thoughts of why how that came to be? I have, perhaps I have no idea. No one's ever uh, given me their insight into why that is. I would guess uh, because I'm on. Uh, I live in the questions myself, maybe, mm. and maybe that maybe that somehow gets communicated to people in a natural subliminal kind of way. And so they feel safe to explore questions as well, rather than digging down on answers of life. Maybe I am, you know, I'm guessing. Yeah. And as you say that, that that's something else I want to clarify. Um, Cause I think a lot of people that have a falling out with the church or just feel unchurched in general, just turn their back and like, they're like, Oh, that's, that's not, I don't need that in my life or it's not necessary. Yeah, it's irrelevant. But somehow the people that feel that way have that disillusionment, but they're still captivated by this story of Jesus. Yeah, for sure. The Christ story. Um, and so I do want to put that clarification yeah. that somehow those people with the questions around Christ. Yeah, they still feel drawn. Mm-hmm. It's almost like this, like tomorrow's gospel reading is uh, the disciples, uh, the night of the resurrection they're locked. They've locked themselves in the room, and Jesus walks through. The resurrected Jesus walks through the wall somehow, and greets them, and calms them down, mm. and he empowers them. He breathes on them, and then it says a week later they're still back in the room with the door locked, uh, out of fear and hiding. Oh wow! And I think that's kind of been the posture of the church. For 2,000 years, but yet the resurrected Christ is still able to, to, to walk through, through those walls. Yeah. And, and so I think individuals, I think there are countless people on an individual basis who have had mysterious spiritual encounters with the risen Christ. Right. And they, have, they don't have the language 
to some may not even be able to bring it to their conscious mind, their thinking mind of what that was. Others have told me, I've heard countless stories through the years of people in their childhood could hear God speaking their name, mm. specifically Jesus calling their name. And, uh-huh. and so, you know, uh, but there's a great disconnect when they go to an organized church uh, very often, including churches that affirm those kinds of things. Okay. Because uh, there's so many other trappings that they might feel uncomfortable with that the, the church organization feels are absolutely paramount, whereas the individual feels, yeah, that's no. So what would be an example of some of the things that the church sees as paramount? Well, let, let me, like, let me, I'll generalize it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. Specific. And so, so some church groups... Uh, will legalize, uh, legalize not in the sense, they, they become legalistic, is, is mm, a word, yeah, yeah. Uh, for behaviors. So you must behave a certain way or you can't belong. Check off with all these, these appropriate yeah, so, yeah. interactions. So some groups, they emphasize behaviors, okay. while others claim they don't, you know, we're under grace. So, you know, they'll claim that. Mm-hmm. And so they'll say it's not about behaviors. But it's about beliefs, and so then they mm. become legalistic about. You have to beliefs. say the right words. Yeah. Go so if that. someone question whether uh, Jesus's mother Mary was a virgin perpetually, uh, they get <laughs> they get slapped on the wrist. <laughs> yeah, they, they get, get put in timeout. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, wow, we can't explore that. We can't. Right. Uh, or you know the errors that are in the Bible that are obvious. Is, is it really true that? Uh, Anyone from the island of Crete that they're gluttons and liars, all of them? Still to the this, scriptures say still that. Still to this and, day. Yeah, to this day. Is <laughs> that a universal truth? Or <laughs> did somebody just get re- out of a really bad weekend in yeah. Crete and right. decided to write a, uh, a verse about it or something? I, you know, so, so it just depends uh, on, the, you know, on those kinds of things. And, and, and so I guess to touch on your personal story in this context— have you always lived in the questions or was there a oh, time no. where you were legalistic? Yeah. And so maybe can you point to a couple of things that maybe flipped, flipped you in, in the sense of exploring questions more than the yeah. legalistic side of life? A no, spiritual. Yeah. Life. I, I don't, people, people will joke with me and call me a rebel, but I'm, I'm really, I was a very, I'm a conformist. Right. I, I want to be left alone. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just, I'm a generation Xer, so we're like, we shrug our shoulders, <laughs> shove our hands in our pockets, and we say, yeah, let the millennials burn the world down <laughs> uh, from what's left from the boomers. Right. <laughs> Whatever's so, left. so, yeah, they're all curse on both their houses. Um, so, yeah, so I wanted to always be uh, accepted, I guess, mm-hmm. by authorities and organizations, but there was always an undercurrent of... I don't belong here. So, for example, uh, so people could tell, authority figures in my life, like my parents, uh-huh. teachers, they could tell that there was something unusual going on with me, spiritually speaking. Because mm. they would always send me to the retreats for discerning the priesthood. Mm. They'd always send me to Well, that, that was even like, like that. while your pops asked you if you wanted to go to Catholic school. Yeah, right? exactly. The so motivation. they knew something was yeah. up. 
Um, so they, so I remember we went to a meeting when I was maybe 13, 14. It was an interest meeting for young uh, people in the priesthood, the Roman Catholic priesthood. Okay. I think it was at a, at a Holiday Inn or something. Like at the, Here in El Paso. Yeah, and it was a big meeting. And, and I felt this very, heard this very still small voice in me say, uh, you don't belong here. Mm. And and so that's so there's always been that undercurrent when I'm with an organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a trickster quality to me in the sense of uh, I like to, I don't like to throw the table up, but I like to right. be under the table as a Moving troll a down there. You know? <laughs> so, so for example, if I'm with a group of people and they seem Pentecostally, if they're oriented in a Pentecostal sort of way, then I'll take on rational mm. viewpoints just to rattle them mm-hmm. and get them to... Or if I'm with uh, high church uh, Protestants, I'll, I'll become a Pentecostal low, to right, them. to try. I'll, I'll tell them how wonderful speaking in tongues is. <laughs> and, uh, how much it changed your life. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so that they can I can hear them squirm just a little bit. Yeah. But that's a, I don't think that's a rebel thing. I, I could be wrong. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't. I th- I, and the way I've seen you interact with people, I think it's more of a, like, trying to get the room thinking. That's, if it, yeah. If it seems yeah. very, you know, uh, group think is going on. Yeah. And, and the only reason I see it in you is because I, I do the same thing. Like yeah. I like to throw out little pennies and dimes of things. And see what happens. Yeah. Just see, <laughs> see people who give the side eye, you know? Yeah. Um, but so what, so. Yeah. Yeah. And I grew up very conservative by the way. Right. And I, we've talked about yeah. that and you, and you even, cause you said the, at 13 is when you went to the, that priestess, you still stayed within an organized religion in some way, shape, or form for many years after that. Yeah, Even though sure. it wasn't the Catholic Church. Right, yeah. yeah. It, it ebbed and flowed for, what, a yeah. decade after that still, or, or even more? And my lifestyle is, is still very, it's, it's a simple lifestyle, mm-hmm. it's a conservative lifestyle. My views, you know, I grew up in a, a fairly, you know, uh, conservative kind of uh, mindset. So it wasn't like, you know, I was always uh, questioning things or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have a, you know, I like to read. Yeah. And so you, when I get more information sure. about positions that I've had, and uh, I guess, I don't know why I have a willingness to change my, I think we all are more flexible than we mm-hmm. allow ourselves to be. Um, I, I tend to believe that as well. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, so I came to a place probably in my late thirties. If I'm uncomfortable believing a certain theological, quote unquote, truth, mm-hmm. if I'm uncomfortable with it, why am I uncomfortable with it? Mm-hmm. And then after I've explored it, uh, why do you hold that belief if, if it's not even consistent with who you are? Mm-hmm. And so that kind of that's where you well. started questioning stuff more. Yeah, more for openly. sure. Yeah. So it was your late thirties where you started. Maybe the right word would be comfortable questioning stuff yeah, around you. I had to disappoint a lot of people to start doing that. So when we had our fairly conventional church mm-hmm. uh, in the city, the suburbs of El Paso, uh, and I began, I, yeah, I had a kind of a spiritual awakening, mm-hmm. which which caused me to explore some of my more Catholic roots. Mm. And that disappointed a lot of people, and, made a lot of people uncomfortable. Yeah, we, we really hit on that in the liturgical right. calendar episode. So, yeah, so disappointing people, once you pass that 
if you have over a hundred people that uh, think you're not a good person <laughs> and are speaking some pretty crazy stuff about yeah. you, uh, you just figure, well, I'll get, may as well run with it. Yeah, and and so and and so I lost motivation to have a place in any organization. Mm. See, I wasn't career building anymore in that sense. And so when you're not doing that, then you're free to be who you are. So that was sort of your deconstruction moment. Yeah, probably. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, mid to late 30s. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I began to just one by one study these, you know, certain issues, you know, mm -hmm. what, what does God really think about homosexuality? You know, mm -hmm. those kinds of things, those hot hot issues of our time. They don't need to be hot issues, but and that's there are what people I, making money off of it. Yeah, so. that's what I was going to say. They're, they're, I don't want to say they're silly things because people have been, well, two things. People have been really harmed by some of the yeah, ideas absolutely. around them. And some people really, for whatever reason, believe deeply in the, you know, sort of the group think, going yeah. back to that, that idea of group think. So I don't want to minimize that part of it, but they're, who someone wants to live with or sleep with, like to me, seems very yeah. minor compared to some of the other stuff going on in the world, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, to spend so much time and energy and money on it, just see, it's counterproductive is not the right word. It, it just, it's an odd choice. Well, there are people making careers and a yeah. lot of money off of culture wars that yeah. don't need to be wars. And that's a fact. And, and, and on both sides of the fence. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. a big money. Yeah. It's a so, big money. So you maker. have a, a guy, uh, you know, uh, an artist who uh, knows it's going to rile up a certain population if he sells satanic shoes. Yeah. And there are people that will, they need that guy. And yeah, they get riled they up. They need a yeah. devil out there. They need an enemy out there to yeah. attack. And, uh, you know, and the guy's trolling them. Right. Again. Yeah. Because this happens over and over and over. Well, I mean, it's very similar to, you know, there was a popular hip hop artist that said he he enjoyed the the president that everybody hated. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and, and the more, you know, the more I, I happen to be a fan of that person. And the more I read and look into it, I, it was, he was attention. It was attention seeking yeah, move. And, and it, it worked. <laughs> he was advancing his career. He and it to, worked. To be uh, relevant. So. so anyway, so not to go down those those yeah. those rabbit holes, but. Uh, I do think that was an important uh, sidestep in the sense that when these people come and just I want to clarify another thing. We're talking in broad strokes on purpose because we're not here to tell other people's stories. Right. Um, in fact, some of the ones that have come to mind, I are, we're already planning to reach out because they're part of Desert Rain community. Uh, and they'll be on this podcast and they'll mm, they'll yeah. tell their their personal story. Yeah, and it may be very different from yeah. Well, it will be very different from Yeah. Home. So we that's why we're staying so general in this episode. Yeah. But okay. with that being said, uh, when these people approach you, um, how, so you're the observer. You're the one being approached. So you obviously can't read their mind. But uh, usually how does that, the beginning, you know, it might not come up in the first conversation, but, you know, in the first full hand when they're they're feeling you out right like to see yeah see if you're a safe person to discuss spiritual matters with how, how does that kind of unfold uh usually they'll just come right out and interesting yeah and tell me what they're struggling with or whatever mm -hmm. it could be my height i'm so short maybe <laughs> i'm just 
maybe they feel unintimidated. And so I can talk to this child, man. You can just say whatever <laughs> to this guy. <laughs> I, it could be that, you know, he's the Keebler elf. I feel safe around the Keebler elf. Right. Reminds me of mommy, you know, I'd get home from school and as, mom would get home from sandwich. work and give me a, a Keebler cookie, you know? Uh, so anyway, uh, I, yeah, so I, I don't know. That, yeah. So people just seem to feel comfortable enough and at ease. And, you know, and, and so maybe there's something to do with the desert. Maybe it's mm. such an open place here. You feel like your secrets will never are safe out here or something. You know? Well, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I, just, I do think there is something to that being because you, ha- you have to go out of your way to end up. At Desert Rain. Yeah. You don't really stumble upon it in the sense that, like, you were just out for a Sunday drive. Yeah. Well, some people, they get their car gets stuck. That's true. On the dirt road, and we have to get out and help them. (laughs) We have to get the tractor out. But they're they're not asking spiritual questions at that point. They're asking, are you people a murder cult? (laughs) And are you going to kill us? Do you you have a four-wheel drive to to drag me out of this arroyo? Um, Well... And uh, and this kind of this kind of connects nicely to this idea of Anukara, you mm, know, yeah, yeah, of of um, either yeah, I guess early on in this in this when these people come you know come and connect with you and you start having these early on conversations of um, how are you able to embrace this perspective of. I'm I'm asking questions too. Yeah. So it kind of opens the door for someone else to ask questions. Yeah. How, how does that how does that relationship sort of fru- come to fruition? I, I I don't think there's a at least I don't think there's a formula mm-hmm. to it. So I I think if I think people recognize consents people that they're safe with, I guess. Mm. And I think maybe you could foster that by, you know, the closest you can probably get to a formula that I can think of is that you, you, you personally make a discipline of being a vulnerable person mm-hmm. to others, uh, being uh, yourself, mm-hmm. being as authentic as you can, not trying to, not trying to have an image of an authentic person, not imitating right, an authentic person. You can person. see through that. Because you can see, yeah. But just simply being at peace with yourself, I, I, th- I think, it, and I think that comes with age. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah. So, and, and I'm not a smooth operator. I'm a very clunky, awkward human being. Uh, but I've embraced that that's who I am. Yeah. So you, maybe there's yeah. something. There. Well, well, so this is the other, the two words that sort of came to mind as you started to explore that was authenticity, which you, yeah. you also touched on, but also the ability to listen. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's a skill. You could learn that as a skill have to you, be a listener. Have you always been a listener or, no. or have you developed that? I live with a listener. Mm. So my wife is a super listener. Seems like that's who she is. It's her temperament and and she's just naturally good at it mm. and so i think being married to marcia for this long has taught me to be that way mm-hmm. interesting you know and it you know came with experience and time you know so when we're 25 i'd ask her a question or whatever and not get a response 
for five minutes. Mm. And then so I would get pissed off and angry. <laughs> you oh, okay, you're going to ignore me. I see. No, she's, pr- she's actually listening. I had never been around someone that actually listened. Uh, yeah. And so, so I think that, and definitely, yeah, definitely the practice of centering prayer and desert walking, you know, you, you develop a skill of listening spiritually to people in, and, that's, and, and part of listening is also turning off your analytical mind. Mm-hmm. You're not analyzing them. You're not observing. They're not a scientific specimen that you're observing. Uh, you're not an author trying to get a character so you could write mm. about, create a character and write, a, write about it. Uh, you or simply, a journalist trying to tell, yeah, a, trying to tell a point of view. Exactly. So you turn off that the analytics of your mind and simply be present. And animals have taught me that. Mm. Uh, you know, I want you know one of my. I th- I think it'd be awesome if uh, if a bird would just land on me someday. Mm. <laughs> so I can. I'm, I'm freaking Saint Francis. I'm Francis. <laughs> Everyone, look at me. And the bird poops on you. You know. <laughs> yeah. It but, flies off as soon as, yeah. as someone's walking out, the bird flies out so they yeah. don't even see. No one witnesses the landing of the bird. So, so instead of going out in nature as an observer, mm. but you go out there as a, as a witness of what's alive and your oneness with them being a, a, a thing that's alive as well. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a difference. It's a different kind of consciousness, I think. And I think that one of the things that has helped me in uh, the process or being mindful of my analytic mind is if someone's telling me a story, I can ask them, do you want me to give you advice or do you want me to just listen? Mm. You know, because sometimes I I know for me, if someone brings a problem to me, I want to help them solve it. Yeah. But I've learned that uh, sometimes people don't get, really care what I think. Yeah. You shouldn't <laughs> they, be upset they when don't, they don't take your right. advice. So that's why I ask now is like, do you want me to just listen and be a sounding board or do you yeah. want me to give advice and try to try to help you walk through this? And yeah. and it's amazing watching people because I, I, I think sometimes people don't even realize that they don't want advice. Like they just no. want someone to listen. Exactly. You know, and so it sometimes catches people off guard, but it, in the the rest of the conversation, it, it always goes better. If I'm just listening because yeah. they just want someone to listen to, and you know, and then they can vent. Exactly. Know? Or if they're tra- you know, if they're at the point of they're not venting anymore, but they really want to problem solve, you know, then I can it, the Anamkara. Right. Ask right. questions, yeah. feel feel it out and, and let them come to their own resolution. Yeah, most of the time people just need to be observed, mm-hmm. not observed, witnessed in mm-hmm. their in their grief, because in we're, their loss, you know. We're observed a lot, especially with social media. Yeah, yeah, that's very observation. Little, yeah, very little of the time are we witnessed. Yeah, witnessed. This like. is such a, I'm just, it's a new concept to me, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm unpacking it mm-hmm. uh, intellectually right now. And I think it's an important thing, Yeah, important distinction. Um, and, it, you know, I don't, I know you and I have talked about it recently, the difference between witnessing someone and just seeing someone. Yeah. So, And it's a word that I threw away because we're talking about construction and mm, deconstruction and right. reconstruction of faith. Mm. So it's a reconstructed word for me because when I was a teenager, witness meant you go up to a stranger 
at the mall, because this was the 80s, uh, <laughs> and you and you witness Jesus to them. You tell them oh, about Jesus. Oh, I see. Okay, you evangelize and you become a witness. Yeah. I see. And okay. we would use that language in yeah. the 80s. We're going to go out and witness today. And so very quickly that became a very a negative, a radioactive mm-hmm. word for me that I just didn't want. To. Part of your life. And the other kind of is is legal, you know. That's the one you're that a comes, witness yeah, of a that crime, comes to my mind. So I don't want to be a part of that yeah, either. Yeah, I, I, I listen to too much uh, true crime. So when <laughs> yeah. I hear the word witness, yeah, I think about I, the the guy that, who just happened to be walking his dog. Yeah, you know, and the, catches, the least amount something. of days I spend inside of a courtroom are <laughs> are, are days. good days. <laughs> and so yeah, and so it's a word that I've never really. It's only recently picked up, so it's a reconstruction in faith for me on okay. this particular issue that mm-hmm. God, uh, uh, like, uh, uh, um, Meister Eckhart says the, the eye with which I witness God is the same eye that God is witnessing me. Mm. And so, so there's this sense of witness where the, the, or, or to use another theological term in the, I think uh, the Catholic catechism uses the beatific vision of God. Mm. Uh, you know, so, so this, awareness that you are being witnessed by the eye of God's presence, not in the sense of Santa Claus who sees right. you when you're checking you yeah, naughty or nice. He knows what you did under the covers. No, yeah. not that. Uh, but just that unconditional yeah, pure, presence. Yeah, exactly. That you are accepted as you are because you are created in that image. And that image of God that you're created in is connecting to the greater image. And there's only one image. So these well, moments of thin places mm-hmm. kind of thing. And the one that I think about when I'm in, in that thought process of being connected with the divine or witnessed by the divine is just my breath, right? Like thinking back to the original breath that's talked about yeah. in Genesis, you know what I mean? Exactly. And, and the straight line connection from there to this moment. Um, that's always powerful for me Yeah. for some reason. So... <clears throat> Um, so as we witness people, um, and sort of embrace them during the, this idea of, of, uh, deconstruction, you know, cause it seems, it seems like, I think we said this earlier, it seems like people find you when, when they're in that, uh, spiritual or religious deconstruction. Yeah. We seem to be a good. Yeah. A haven for people like that. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's short-term haven and sometimes yeah. it's, you know, they, they it's the lifelong haven for whatever reason. You know, every, everyone's on a different path. But as someone that embraces that openness, that idea of hospitality, mm, yeah. what, what are some of the things you've um, watched manifest in people's lives? You know, it could be a tiny thing or it could be big things as they reconstruct their faith in sort of this intellectually contradictive way of like, they come to you asking questions, but through those questions, somehow their faith reconfigures and reconstructs. Yeah. Can you articulate what that's about? As yeah, just uh, just yeah. as an observer, you know, I, I I mean, I think we all start off, and and I think it's a it's a maturity issue, mm. and it's an intellectual issue, of splitting everything into dichotomies, mm. heart and mind, 
And so, uh, and so in the Christian world, we, we split it into uh, believer or atheist. And there isn't anything oh, else. Okay. You're either a hardcore believer or you're a hardcore atheist. And, and it's hilarious to see how terrified and misunderstanding Christians are of atheists. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's kind of cute. <laughs> it's kind of right. funny and sad, too, in some cases. Uh, and, and, uh, and so, yeah, so, so to see a world open up between those two, between non-belief and belief, uh, is, is a huge world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so well, that's basically what we're saying here is, is uh, uh, you don't have to choose either or. There's, mm-hmm. there's a huge both and an and. There's a between world. Uh, somebody said it better. Rilke, the, the German poet, or, or no, no, I'm sorry. It was Rumi, the okay. Persian poet. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, you got my R's wrong. <laughs> uh, said somewhere between being all right and all wrong, there is a field between those two. Mm-hmm. And I'll meet you there. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's what we're, and that's the work of the Center for Action Contemplation with yeah, Richard Rohr. I'm not. Father Rohr. Yeah, and I didn't yeah. get paid to plug that. Uh, and so, so I think people are looking for something between those two. Uh, do I have to be an atheist? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and maybe maybe you do for well, a while. It's interesting because as you as you first started talking about that. I've seen people on the atheist side get just as religious yeah, and dogmatic about atheism yeah. <laughs> as I've seen Christians yeah. get about this idea of believe or non-believe. Yeah, they, because they have the same issue. Mm-hmm. They're addicted to certitudes. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, so the between field is, yeah, if you're able to let go of your certitudes and the need to be absolutely certain mm-hmm. about everything, then uh, you, you can open up a larger space of living. Well, and the thing is you're never going to be absolutely right about everything unless you just convince yourself. Which they do. Right. Yeah. 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 And it's like, and this is a similar idea, but there's a Chris Rock bit about this gang mentality in politics, you know, of, of the right and left. Yeah. You know, and, and so the, the this idea of this gang mentality uh, within Christian, uh, hardcore, you either black or white believer or not. Yeah. And the atheist, you know, there, there's also a, a gang, uh, mentality as far as like, you're either with us or against yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and I think the real, that idea, just as, as you said that line and it's sort of been circling around in my head, just this idea of an open field where anyone can walk in this field and have conversations, pass ideas around. Yeah. Uh, explore these because a lot of time you need to explore these things intellectually yeah for before sure before they can settle in your heart yeah and, and history you got to learn history and mm-hmm. realize well i was just talking to someone today they were questioning their what is the deal with evil what is the deal with satan mm-hmm. is there really a, a guy with horns and the whole thing and you know and so you know, and I told them that the popular belief about Satan comes from a poem by John Milton. Oh yeah, uh, Paradise Lost, and right. it's, it's fiction. It's not. It's fan fiction of the Bible, and, and I'm not saying everything in the Bible is right. If, if it's you know, 
so anyway, that's a topic for another day, I suppose. Well, I mean, I think the easy thing, if you spend enough time with the Bible, and this is true for any religious writings, I'm not, I'm saying the Bible because it's, we focus on Christian stuff. Yeah. You're going to find contradictions. You're going to find of course uh, hypocrisies. You're going to yeah. find paradoxes, and and um, and that's life. And that and that's where the deconstruction begins for people because they a lot of people grow up or they get converted into Christianity, and the pastor will get up there and say everything you need to know mm. is in this book, and uh, and then they realize that that's that they were sold a bill of goods mm. at some point. Uh, it's not true. I've seen it too many times where people uh, took the literal view of uh, if, if you believe and not doubt, uh, and the prayer of the righteous will avail availeth much. Uh, that uh, that if we we pray and not you know doubt that the person will be healed and they were not, mm-hmm. and so and then so then there's an opportunity right there. You either double down on your mythologies, or you have a road out to uh, expand faith further. So what what would be an example of a double down? Someone saying, well, you obviously didn't pray yeah. hard yeah. enough, or you, your faith wasn't Yeah, they move the goalposts, just like conspiracy theorists uh, do. And we all have conspiracy theory yeah, kind of thinking that we yeah. bought into. So, you know, you, oh, so you have an invisible dragon, or, or you have a dragon that's a friend. Yeah, I have a dragon. You know, that mm-hmm. fallacy that's, uh, well, can I see him? Well, he's invisible. Mm-hmm. So they move the goalposts, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, well, can we put a flower down on the floor so we can see its footprints? Well, he floats. Oh, can <laughs> we see him breathe fire? Well, the fire's invisible too. <laughs> and it's cold fire. You can't feel it. You can't feel and so the they heat. just, yeah. So, you, and we can do that to ourselves. Uh-huh. And we do, um, yeah, and yeah. all not just in religious spaces. No, in, in any, all, all different spaces. Exactly, yeah. it's a human. It's part of the human condition, and so, yeah, that's and and so, so okay. So we talked about the doubling down, and and so what 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 does it look like for in those moments, instead of doubling down, someone expands their faith. What uh, what, what sort of things? Does that entail? I think it means going a long time saying, I don't know, mm. and humbling yourself. So you enter into a new humility. Mm-hmm. With humility comes uh, uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So that's, so, and so with uncertainty comes a sense of being dispossessed. Uh, with that feeling of being dispossessed comes a feeling of being unmoored and unconnected, disconnected. And so, so there's a desert time you, you, you'll end up going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people don't willingly do that. No. And most, and you can't make money off that. So religious organizations well, are not going, it's not a popular idea. You, you can know? make money off of it by trying to cure the person. Yeah, quote, yeah. Quote, quote, unquote, well, cure yeah. the person that's. That's, That's true. In the desert. Yeah. Offering them gonna fix crystals it. or offering mm-hmm. them special things. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so so that's that's what it'll look like. You'll look uh, very uncertain for, for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you get when you get comfortable with the uncertainty, then another yeah. another bout will come. And then you learn that this is the, the way. This is uh, this is the way of Christ. Uh, this is the Paschal mystery of, of being crucified and then risen again. 
And that risen life is not just a, you know, they didn't recognize him. It's an unrecognized. Mm -hmm. So whatever comes out on the other side is unrecognizable to the life that was. Well, I even think about Thomas, right? Like we call him doubting Thomas, but he just didn't know what was in front of him. I don't think it has to do with doubt. No, the astounding thing, and we'll talk about it tomorrow, is that uh, he didn't recognize Jesus, his intimate Mm -hmm. friend. Yeah. So, So there was something obviously different in the in the res in the risen christ well i know in in the recovery world we talk about the three things you need and it might this might be somewhat reductionist but the three things you need for a spiritual experience is open-mindedness yeah willingness and honesty yeah you know and those are it seems reductionist but when you lay those three things out it's like you know, it's hard to have an open mind. Right. It's it's hard to have Very difficult. willingness. You know, it's, it, you know, in the recovery sense, usually you're used to telling lies and, and manipulating people. And, yeah. you know, and, and so being honest is tough, you know. And, and exactly. So, um, and when you're a part of a religious organization, they have an interest in, in uh, gatekeeping mm-hmm. and making sure that you stay Oh, you could be open-minded to a certain extent, whatever mm. the parameters of that particular organization are. You can be uh, willing as long as it serves, directly the serves cause. the organization. Right. And uh, what was the third one? Honest? Honesty. No, no, we don't need that. <laughs> Get rid of that. Toss that one off to the side. You just fill so. out the survey of how great the sermon was, and the, and it's a checkbox it. uh, yeah, yes kind, no. so it won't have any negativity in it. Or it'll have the three, you know. Very good, good, neutral, yeah. bad, or very bad. <laughs> so you get five choices, but yeah. stay within the lane. So, well, and and so this idea um, of being unhinged, of being out in the desert, uh, to me, I, I see like someone floating in a, a little life raft in the middle of the ocean, you know, sort of, sort of uh, spiritually alone, so to speak. You know, the, I think the popular terminology is the dark night of the soul. Right. Um, these sorts of things. Because we don't go into these, to them willingly, typically, usually there is some great uh, shift that's occurred in our life. Um, for someone that's, and we've touched on it before, but for someone that's because you can't if you artificially try to make this dark night of the soul, it's still your ego just like playing games, right? So how how do we prepare ourselves um if we've been through a dark night of the soul or a couple of them, when things are good, right? How do we prepare ourselves for those types of things? Um, not not to avoid them, but just to know that th- those things could come. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't think you can prepare okay. yourself. I mean, sure, you could tell yourself all things pass, and you could do meditations on the the transient nature of reality and the world and mm-hmm. life. But I, I I just feel like. Uh, you just have to go through it. So a lot of people will say, I don't know what I would do if I had cancer. Mm. Well, I know exactly what you would do. You would get through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you would find gifts within yourself that you never thought were there. You'll find resources within yourself 
that you never dreamed of to get through because mm-hmm. that's exactly what millions of people are doing right now. It's the divine nature. Yeah, they're getting of through those things. And so so yeah, so I, I, I don't I, I don't think life is that kind of a preparation. I think it's you know it's the you know if most most spirituality calls us to the present moment, mm-hmm. and so if you're, as you're living in that, that is the preparation as best as you can do. So if you're sitting, if you're driving one from one place to another, the purpose of your life is not to get to that next place. Mm-hmm. The purpose of your life at that moment is to drive and not be driving, get into a wreck. Hopefully, you know, mm-hmm. and so. So yeah, there there is no bypass to the pain, <laughs> yeah. and and I know Buddhists will say yeah, if you can detach enough, you won't be in pain, and uh, and I think there's yeah the pain of being overly identified with something, mm-hmm. that pain, but not the pain itself of of rejection, uh, of someone dying, um, or even physical pain, or yeah, or chronic. You know, people pain. have injuries that, that they're... Yeah, I just... Their new normal is some sort of physical pain. Exactly, or yeah. mental illness, people that struggle with, with clinical depression and things like that. Uh, yeah, so it's... Again, I think... Uh, and, I, and I'm being surfacy with Buddhism. Uh, well, you can point... Yeah, you can point to any... Yeah, religion. we're always trying to bypass somehow. Jesus suffered, so I'll... So never I, have I to experience any suffering in this life. Yeah. That's just, that's, that's not, not true. true at all. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we're all going to die. We all have to take that, that, that journey. Mm. And think, we can have people around us, but you still, that even the dying journey. is done still by take, you. Yeah. You take it alone. Yeah. Um, going back to this idea of reconstruction, uh, and re, you know, just this rebuilding of faith. Yeah. Um, when 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 I think about that, the other word that comes to mind, and I think they're connected in a way, is is healing. There's some healing mm. that occurs during the reconstruction, um, whatever it is, right? Yeah, like it yeah. can be talking about what we're you know, disillusionment from a church, but it can be physical healing after a surgery. It can be. Uh, a family healing after a divorce or a death, right? Like it, yeah. the reconstruction can take many forms. So I, I guess the question I would propose to you, because I think it's an important part, is as people are reconstructing and, and healing, what are some of the outlets that we can turn to to help in that process, right? Like yeah. I know you've witnessed a lot of people reconstruct their life and heal. What, what are some of the things you've noticed uh, assist and in such a way that it doesn't bypass what they're going through as well. Yeah. Well, I, I think definitely being open. Like, like my, like when I'm with someone now, because of my own reconstruction, uh, my one of my highest goals in the in the interaction with that person mm-hmm. is that I would hope that they are they know that they're not alone. Mm. Not that I can personally solve any of their problems. Right. Uh, a sense of community. But there's a sense that you're not isolated. You're not alienated. Um, so there's that. I, I think for us here, we, we had a shift into reconstruction. I remember uh, uh, when we first came out here, it felt like we always had to tell our story and define who we were to people. 
Mm. And then there all of a sudden became a shift in a, after years right. where we realized it doesn't matter who we are and it doesn't matter what explanations we give to why we do what we do or not do. And what matters is uh, we hear people's stories mm. and we listen to them and, uh, and we celebrate that with them or mm. mourn it with them, whatever is appropriate, you know. Yeah. And that's really what, so that was a shift of reconstruction of, of your identity. Eventually your identity doesn't matter. All right. You're number three on the Enneagram. Yeah. yeah. Shut the hell up and wash the dishes. <laughs> will you? Uh, there comes a point where you're, you're bored with yourself mm-hmm. and bored with your personality and your giftings. And cause it's not about that anymore. So that's a reconstruction of, of faith when you're no longer building an identity of yourself or even try having a need to explain who you are to anyone. Um, they're more interesting anyway right. to you at that mm-hmm. point. And so, so I know for me, I'm, you know, I'm at a place in life where I'm fairly bored with, I've had all the conversations I can have with myself mm-hmm. and with God. We don't have real deep conversations anymore. It's all silence. Um, but if I meet somebody new, they're very interesting to me because I've never met them yeah. before. Yeah. And so I want to experience the world through their eyes. Uh, and so I think that's a shift. That's a reconstructive shift, I think. Well, and and what comes to, to my mind with with you saying that is this, and I don't know if it's, it's probably part of the reconstruction, but it's definitely this, what we might say, the, this post-reconstruction, um, is this idea of service. Yeah. You know, and sort of going back to the beginning of the conversation, if we have this, you know, if I can be an authentic person and I can listen, um, that puts me in the best opportunity to be of some of service to someone yeah. else. And it could be very, yeah, the, the doors of service, serving an individual could be doors that were hidden to you, mm-hmm. but because you took the time to be still and to watch and to, to uh, you, you can truly serve them. Not in the sense of the United States going over to Central America and right. we're going to solve these problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We've got the answers for these problems. That, that's not, because that's what we end up doing. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. In, well, in other words, you have to not assume that you know what they need to be served. Well, in fact, you should probably assume you don't know. No. Yeah, exactly. You should start with the assumption you have no idea what this person needs. Exactly. And go from there. And that that's, for me at least, when I come from that perspective, uh, my brain can shift into that listening mode. Yeah. And it always becomes reciprocal too. Yeah. yeah it's so weird yeah. how that it'll, it'll, and it might not come from that person, but this, this loop of service. Yeah. I, th- I think people would... Uh, sort of in the uh, new age world, call it karma. Yeah. But it's just this idea of like, um, if I'm, if, if I allow myself to be in a place of service to others, when I'm in need, someone else is going to step up and be of service to me. Yeah. Um, It comes with a second question when you're interacting with someone, which is one is, yeah, how can I serve this person in this moment? And the second is, uh, what do they, what do they te- have to teach me right mm-hmm. now? What do they, what am I going to learn mm-hmm. from this person, this interaction? So, because you always will. Yeah, exactly. If, if you're, you're open to it. Mm-hmm. If you're open to being in a space of learning, 
to be taught by another individual. Um, there'll always be something there, yeah. um, to, to pick up and, and, uh, not even necessarily run with just to have as, as a new teaching for that day. Yeah. And you have to surrender your agenda. Mm-hmm. I have something tough. to teach them. I have something, I'm going to serve them in a way that will make me look good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to surrender those kinds of things. Yeah, and I think that goes back to that idea of humility you were talking about earlier. Yeah. You know, and... and um, yeah, and, not easily come by yet. And I think when... I think w- with in connection with that idea of authenticity, people can see when you're trying to act authentic. Yeah. Just as people can see when you're trying to... Maybe you look like you're being of service, but you're actually trying to push an agenda. Yeah. You want to be, you want some, because it's possible to do good works to serve people, uh, but your your motive is really, it puts you in a place of power mm-hmm. and you're doing it from a place of power rather mm-hmm. than a lateral service mm-hmm. to someone else. And yeah, and people know that yeah. and they get resentful. And th- I mean, I think for me, that's where... You know, we, we touched about in the last couple of episodes being being in the recovery world for as long as I have and just witnessing people, witnessing both of it, right? Because it can still happen in the recovery world where someone's pretending to help you, but there's another yeah. there's another agenda there. And there's people that are just trying to be helpful for the sake of being helpful. Yeah. And nothing else. And and just being able to witness that on many different fronts, you know, whether it's actually in the recovery space where you're trying to get over this addiction or, um, you know, we help each other professionally, we help each other with family problems, you know, whatever, and all, you know, mental health things. And it's like, you know, so for example, when someone comes to me and they're having terrible problems with their wife, I have to say, I don't know. I've never been married, (laughs) (laughs) but there's this guy, this guy, this guy, right. and they've gotten through similar things in their marriages, maybe reach out to it's them. community effort, yeah. yeah. Um, and that, uh, and the only reason I know those three guys have been through those things, and this is just a hypothetical example, is but because I've built friendships with them. Right. And I've listened to them in an authentic way where they were able to share that things they either were struggling yeah. with or were able to overcome. You know, and I think that's what this reconstruction idea that we're delving into is about. And I think that's what people are looking for is they are and they aren't. So so when we started our church, we thought everyone is really looking for community. Mm. And that's true, and it's also not true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so what happens is you you might get a sense of community for a period of time mm. in a in a church in an organized, you know, religious group. But eventually, you know, that community can fail you and mm-hmm. falter and and your beliefs are tied to that. And so then you, yeah, you start a, a deconstruction process at that point. And so so maybe you don't believe half the stuff that they were, that you used to believe, mm-hmm. but you can't shake your fascination of the person of Jesus Christ. That's still... Mm. That mystery is still haunting you. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I I think, and I, I just want to sort of say this as as we, we have a few more minutes here, but 
two things. One, we're not saying that this deconstruction, reconstruction period is a one and done. Like you no, go through no. it and then everything's happy. No. It's, it's an ongoing process. Yeah, you're in all three <laughs> stages. It's a black hole. You're getting spaghettified. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The deeper <laughs> you go down this mystery of uh, the Christ that's within us, uh, the farther down the, the the black hole you get pulled. Yeah, exactly. And also, um, we're not professional therapists. Uh, if, as, if anyone has encountered yeah. real true trauma uh, from a, a religious group, um, you know, a, a pastor, um, even if it's a lay person, but yeah. they're very highly regarded within your your religious denomination. Um, there, there's there's people out there that are that are willing to help. Yeah, that are trained. Yeah, actually. that are trained yeah. and, and can. So we're we're not sitting here saying that we have any training to to heal trauma or to um, anything like that. We're you know we're. We're just lay people that are on on this walk of of life, and yeah. you know we will we'll walk alongside you through those types of things. But there's there's certain things um, where you need to get professional help. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know whether professional help uh, in a legal sense with the authorities, professional help with mental health stuff, any, you know, any, any and all avenues are open. So yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that is one caveat I would like to end with is that um, we're just a couple schlubs. Just talking on know, a Saturday afternoon. Trying to, <laughs> trying to do this Anamkara thing uh, and trying to, to serve those around us. But we're also, uh, we're not, we're not delusioned ourselves that we're professionals yeah. in, in any way, shape or form. So, um, but no, those, those, um, resources are out there. Yeah, there's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there are actual recovery groups for victims who've, mm. people who've grown up in fundamentalist families mm-hmm. and, and you know, and that could be in any religious, you know, any of the big religions, mm-hmm. you know, fundamentalism can any, any. emotionally damage people. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, yeah, there's actual recover, recovery groups for that. Yeah. So, uh, well, Mr. David Morrison... Mr. Dorian Mason. Thank you again for another uh, another good conversation. We are we're uh, this is sort of a stepping stone. We're gonna go down the idea of evangelism, uh, faith, worship, um, in and around this um, construction, deconstruction, reconstruction idea. Um, I don't know how many episodes that might span, um, but we are gonna explore that in the next few conversations. So. Um, thank you again, uh, theruin.com, for any information around Desert Rain Community or uh, any of, of Mr. Morrison's uh, writings and musings. Uh, drcrpod.com for any other episodes that you might want to. This is your first one. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, if this is if you've listened to all of them, thank you even yeah, more for listening. <laughs> Our gratitude runs deep, and uh, those drums you hear uh, on the outro here are uh, Monk Drums, uh, M O N K Drums.com. Uh, thank you, Mr. Jacob, for that, and um, we appreciate your time. Thank you. <laughs>